Welcome to the Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast, where we look for inspiration on the journey to discover what matters most. I'm Wynne Leon, and in this episode, I'm with meditation teacher, healer, artist, and my friend, Deirdre Wilcox. We talk about Deirdre's journey to become a healer, how she used her time undergoing treatment for breast cancer to integrate all that she's been taught about the mind, body, spirit. We also delve into the power of our intuition and why we mistrust it, why we need to place meditation up there on the list of daily habits like flossing, the danger of going shopping after meditation class, and how transformation might be exactly what we need to live our deepest and best lives. At the very end of our conversation, I left in an outtake where I offer myself up as an example of how mulishly resistant humans can be when it comes to tackling things that could make our lives better. Hi, and welcome to the Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast. I'm Wynne Leon, one of the hosts of the podcast, and I'm here with Deirdre Wilcox. Deirdre is the yoga and meditation teacher who introduced me to meditation. She's also a massage therapist, an artist, a deep, funny, thoughtful, talented, and delightful human who makes this world a better place for people and animals. I'm so grateful to call her my friend for 25 years. Deirdre, in the 35 years or so since you've graduated from Goucher College with a degree in psychology and sociology, you pursued further education in many areas. I'm thinking specifically of as a massage therapist from the Brian Unding School and an Aston Patterner working with Judith Aston and also earning your yoga and meditation teaching credentials. Tell us about this amazing journey and what it's taught you about humans inside and out and the body, mind, spirit? That's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> a big question. <laughs> we don't want to start small, Deirdre. <laughs> no, let's, why just, let's dive in the ocean. Why stick our toe in a puddle? Um, the totality, I would say one of the, so the way I got into this whole thing was it seemed to be like an instant decision where it all made sense. Mm -hmm. I was in fifth grade. I was 10 years old. I was in the little elementary school library walking along the shelves. And I suddenly stopped in front of this one part of this one shelf. And it had a book on the brain. And I pulled it off the shelf and was so enthralled with the idea of being a doctor and doing brain surgery, which the book had referred to. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a brain surgeon right then and there in that little library in that morning. And so that set the tone for right. me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then fast forward, of course, got through um, high school and I started to look for colleges that were had a strong pre-med program. Mm. And so I ended up going to Goucher. Um, I also was interested in doing something really different from what I've been doing. So I grew up on the in Mexico on the West Coast. And I'm like, okay, Baltimore area is 3,000 miles away from Seattle. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so there I went. And I had been saying, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. Um, and then once I got there, it wasn't that I didn't still have that initial passion and feeling about wanting to work in 
medicine or the healing arts, but I quickly realized that that modality of traditional Western medicine was not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. And so much to my own surprise, I thought, well, somehow it still feels right, but not this version. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up moving into the track of psychology and sociology and immediately had resonance with it, a deep passion for it. I loved beginning to understand as much I could about people um, on sort of the individual level. And then the the sociology part was wanting to understand them in their context. Mm. Everything in balance. If you have the macro, but not the micro or the micro, but not the macro, I don't think you can see things in a balanced way. And I think it's harder to understand people if you don't understand their cultural context or their background, their family, their religion, like that is so shaping. And so of course we spend a lot of time talking about nature nurture and, you know, the teacher, the professors would ask for all of these points on either side. And I, everything kept coming back to, no, it's both. I wish people would stop making me try to choose this or that right brain or body. Um, so going back to what you were saying about getting the version right, I have all these, you know, all these additional programs you've been doing are part of that, getting the version or advancing the version to, to what you were, feels right for you? Yes, exactly. So it it's kind of like um, a slow evolution because then I would get a certain set of tools and I'd say, yes, these are good and mm-hmm. they are not complete. Yeah. So then I'd say, what's missing? And so then that kept happening. So it felt like a constant discernment and fine tuning, discernment and fine tuning. Um, so even after I got that degree and then I focused more on body work and then Judith was really combining the emotional and the body both. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, I kept taking a lot of extra work um, in trauma, anxiety, addiction, um, PTSD, movement restrictions, and on and on. And so I just kept gathering, 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 gathering. And then at some point, I felt a resonance deep enough. And I had done enough of my own work and in, in, in integrated and incorporated that. Um, that I felt like I had found a place from which to work that was comfortable and pretty whole. I don't feel like I want any much more in the pot, except now it's time to take that in a new direction. Really where that was a huge turning point was because I'm insatiably curious and always wanting to learn, 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 and be open. I hit a place where I felt oversaturated and like Ah. I couldn't take one more piece of information Mm -hmm. in. I just needed to stop and integrate. And then um, lucky for me, not lucky for me, depends on how you look at it. I got diagnosed with breast cancer and I was really sick and I got off the fields of all practice and taking any information in for about a year and a half. And at the end of that time, I was like, oh, I got it. Yeah. I'm at peace. Yeah. I integrated. I didn't take any more in. I finally gave myself time to 
digest, ready to go. <laughs> it's amazing that you can work that your breast cancer into that that integration because I mean that was an intense period of treatment and therapy for you. Um, you know, I I don't think I saw you for a, a year and a half. Um, yeah, it was intense. It was so intense for you as far as being healed, but it's sort of amazing that you have integrated that mm. so that it becomes part of being a healer. And, you know, that's how I often describe you to other people as I always talk to you as about you as a healer. Um, obviously you have all those modalities and all this education that you bring to it. Um, but you see people as whole people. And fundamentally good and filled with light. <laughs> I love truly, that. Truly, truly. Say more about that. <laughs> well, you know, back to this, that question, one of the other professors asked in college, we got into this whole thing about whether hum humanity is fundamentally good or fundamentally evil. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe humanity is fundamentally good. And that people by and large have the best of intentions, but being human, we stumble around sometimes and we make terrible mistakes. We break hearts. We don't make wise decisions, but I don't think it's because we don't have the capacity. Mm -hmm. I think it's because we haven't been taught that hasn't been worked into the curriculum so to speak in school or in society yeah um you know kids these days are learning how to breathe and meditate in kindergarten can you imagine if we had had that opportunity it, we before would... kindergarten Deirdre, yes. they're doing it in pre-k now <laughs> yes i think it's fantastic or yeah. you know i read a thing an article about when children are acting out and they have to take a time out, they go to breathe and sit and reflect. They're not punished. It's yeah. like, go take a moment, you know, and ground yourself. And what you're saying sort of about that fundamental goodness, I mean, you're sort of speaking to when you know better, do better. Yes. And when we're not, when we're, we are doing those destructive things, in some ways we're, we, we either don't, we, we don't know any better or we're acting from our own trauma. If I'm true. I, I think sometimes people actually don't know better. There's a lot of mm -hmm. what I call benign ignorance. People saying things that aren't very kind or helpful mm -hmm. or acting in ways that are neither. Right. Um, but they're, it's kind of from a benign ignorance. It's like no one told them mm -hmm. that that's not the best approach. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who know better and because of their own trauma or their shadows or they are feeling unloved or whatever is happening for them, they know better and then they're mean or critical anyway because yeah. they're getting a satisfaction out of that that we may or may not understand. But still beneath that is someone who's wounded. Mm -hmm. Right. So the mean person is mean only because they're not healed. Yeah. I love that you talk about shadows because, you know, having you as a meditation teacher has utterly transformed me in many ways. Um, 
it's you've helped me um you helped unblock me um and times that I've been stuck you've helped me reduce the weight that I carry um on my shoulders but you've also helped me see my shadow sides <laughs> you know <laughs> 10 years ago I would have been like oh no no shadows here look somewhere else and you just um you you just have been transformational for me in that way <clears throat> but what do you think is the hardest part for somebody starting a meditation practice and one of the hardest parts is making it as important as flossing or drinking water or having a balanced breakfast or whatever it is we need to do yeah. because we don't prioritize it. And we tend to be in a culture where we have an enormous agenda and we rush from this to that and this to that with our hair on fire. Um, and in so doing, we are on complete disconnect mm -hmm. from that wisdom. Um, but when you say to somebody, well, sit down and meditate, mostly it's like, oh, you get an eye roll or a groan, or I can't do that, or I can't sit still, or I can't be quiet, or always this hilarious list of reasons it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and I say, okay, so clearly you're just having a good time being full of resistance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How's then that I, working for you? Yeah, right? <laughs> How do you love those obstacles you create? Aren't they fun? Yeah. yeah. You don't okay, want to sit down you don't and don't enter, meditate, right? Right. You don't want to enter into flow nope. and integration. <laughs> <laughs> they do, but they're afraid to. And also, you know, we spend a lot of time running our way from ourselves with lots of distractions, you know. Mm -hmm all kinds of glittery, shiny objects in our current world that we get distracted by. Um, I think we're afraid to sit down to see what's there, you know, that yeah. either we're going to feel more bad about ourselves or if, you know, we can actually sit down and listen, we're going to hear the critic go mm -hmm. crazy, but mm -hmm. the critic's going crazy anyway. Yeah. I think if we actually sat down, the critic would have the wind taken out of its sails. Yeah. And I've heard, is it uh, Kristen Neff, the, the self-compassion researcher who talks about, you meet that inner critic and you Absolutely. say, you can stand down. I hear you. Thank you for trying to help me stay safe, but I've got that. And it's not until we can face that head on and, and for which for me is meditation in in many respects mm -hmm. absolutely is to, is to talk to that inner critic and say thank you I appreciate your service I know that you want to criticize my me before anybody else can but it's okay I absolutely believe in befriending all of those voices and yeah. just like imagine sitting down with them and saying you know you have some rock star skills here. This is, <laughs> you are so good at what you do. Maybe a little too enthusiastic. Why don't you just take a moment? I got this. Yeah, I do. I know you're worried and I know your role is to protect me. Yeah. But I got this. Well, and so I would say that the meditation is the single most important thing that I do 
to be a good parent. As a parent, it is the single most thing. But I would say that for parenting, I would say that for creativity. Absolutely. Wise business decisions, wise financial decisions, whether you want to spend a particular weekend doing something when most of you are screaming, no, I need the time to restore. And the guilty part is like, yeah, I really should show up and do this, even though I don't want to, you know? (laughs) Well, I gotta, I gotta take issue with you there because I've walked out of one of your meditation classes in such a good mood that I'll go to the (laughs) store and I'll just buy everything (laughs) without any sense of budget because I'm working from a place of great abundance. (laughs) That's wonderful, though. That is wonderful. (laughs) You did it because you were feeling good and abundant and your vibes were high and you're feeling inclusive and open. And why not the cookies and that yogurt sure looks fabulous. You know, (laughs) it's okay that it's eight (laughs) dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Meditation is great. Don't go shopping after. Don't go shopping afterwards or don't go search for your car after that, a new car, you know, or something where you're feeling spacious and inviting. (laughs) Yeah, but I think, you know, the, the most important obstacle to sitting down and meditating is all the mystique and misinformation around what meditating even is. And meditating is, um, I think people have this idea that you you need to sit down and have this special setup and you're going to sit down and be still and happy and quiet for 40 minutes and you're going to have these insights and you know the actual work of meditation can be not mundane but also some days it's just hard to sit tight it's hard to stay with your breath it's hard not to let the mind wander and so this idea of I can't be quiet, I can't be still is the entirely wrong idea in not truly wrong, but misguided because the whole thing is to just be with what is. So if your chatty mind shows up, you say, oh, there's my chatty mind. Watch it move across the sky like a wispy cloud. Oh, ah, I knew that list of what I need at the drugstore was going to come up next. Sure it is moving <laughs> along and just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. The little negative spaces in between you breathe, you try to be with it. And over time and on a good day, those gaps in between get bigger and longer, mm-hmm. but it isn't that you need to have that managed. In fact, people Think about Pema Chodron, Dalai Lama, all these incredible spiritual guides and teachers on the planet. Every time they talk about this, they say it's a practice. Yes. The practice. No one ever says it's a perfect. <laughs> it's a practice. Thank goodness for me. That's yes, all I can say. Too. So every time is an opportunity to mind the gap. Mm-hmm. Let the gap get bigger. Or simply enjoy the gap and say, ah, here's my trusty friend, the brain, bringing back something else that doesn't need tending right now. Yeah. So like with the critic, you say, thanks, I got that. Go back to the breath. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 
the most key part is not this idea that you need to sit tight. You can meditate, really active meditation is mindfulness. So just do the thing you're doing. Don't do the thing you're doing and think about four other things. Mm -hmm. So if you're driving, be present in the car, feel yourself in the seat. Look at the cars around you. Feel your hands on the steering wheel. Take slow, deep breaths. If you're shopping, focus on what the what produce feels like it's what your body needs. If we're mindful, we're more likely to make the choices our body needs. Yeah. So it's it's truly a mindfulness practice. And I think if I could change one thing about humanity and what how we spend time is it would be coming back to the magic and the powerful transformational quality of the breath. The breath is key. The breath is foundation. Everything, even mindfulness, meditation, creativity, everything comes in relationship to the breath. So breathing, if we're present with it, second by second, like a tracker on a trail, staying with it, that is the meditation. Right. So all that means is being present and being aware that when you are no longer present, you come back. Right. Returning. You use the words meditation and mindfulness. Are those two interchangeable? Or no, I think mindfulness teachers and meditation teachers, well, let me say this in some views, they are interchangeable in other views. I would say not Be And here's one thing that I think is the difference. Mindfulness is on the human practical mundane everyday level. Mm. That is the way to practice being embodied while you're living your life at actively, you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas meditation is an opportunity to bring that mindfulness, but it's internally focused into your experience and dropping in deeply enough that it's more transcendent of that everyday practical world. Mm -hmm. You know, you used that phrase right then, dropping in, which is one phrase that you've used a lot in meditation classes. I, I mean, that's a phrase that I think of when that's Deirdre, if dropping in and dropping into meditation. And when we talked about doing this podcast, we, we talked about doing it without any prompts, <laughs> just speaking from your intuition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm using that phrase correctly, but dropping in to your in intuition and just um, answering from that deep place. Yes. But often we second guess that, we block it. What What are the things that we do to short circuit our intuition? Ooh, we're back to that critic. She, <laughs> she's yes. like, you're making it up. Who do you think you are? Mm. Why do you think you have a knowing? Where did you get that idea? Yeah. You know, it's, she's so, she, he, whoever it is in our, whoever our critic looks like. And I think they should have a personality, a name, an outfit, and a whole thing they do. <laughs> um, 
Well, let's go back before that. I don't think as a culture, so when we were children, you know, if you listen to children, they are so wise and they are so dialed in and talk about being able to drop in, you know, they'll say, oh, there's my friend, Harry. And you'll say, what friend, Harry? My friend, Harry in the corner. Can't you see him smiling and waving? (laughs) And we go, there's no friend, Harry in the corner. We immediately try to shut that down Mm -hmm. because we don't see that in the corner doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. Because we are shut down most of our lives, instead of someone saying, well, tell me all about Harry, your friend in the corner. Then the child starts to understand that it's safe Mm -hmm. to share these gut feelings, these imaginations, these things that are in a slightly alternate reality. I mean, it's the same reality, but Mm -hmm. possibly less edited. Mm -hmm. And as we age, we edit more and more and more. So because we tend to do that, we start believing that rational, critical information is more trustworthy than our internal source. Mm -hmm. So the, and we are told by science, now the data shows this latest study said, you know, but interestingly, if you pay attention to a lot of the studies, they're spending millions of dollars studying things that everybody, once they report it goes, duh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And you spend how much money figuring out that You know, if someone's in a room and they're uncomfortable, they're going to be twitchy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wish I'd had that same million dollars. I would have taught all the kids to meditate and, you know, gone on a road trip with Wynn and we could have really conquered this. (laughs) We could have stopped twitching in its its roots. (laughs) It's a value judgment. Yeah. Rational intellectual information. It's more trustworthy. And if you say, I don't know, I just have a feeling, I just know this, people will say, hmm. Yeah. But they'll go Google research and then they'll say, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. (laughs) So we're the problem. Right. What's the difference between intuition and just winging it? Like walking into a situation unprepared. I mean, is there a preparation that we need to do to drop in or find our flow or, you know, as opposed to just like, oh, well, I'm going to have a meeting with my boss and I'm just going to wing it and I'm going to call it working for my intuition. (laughs) (laughs) That is a really good question. So I think part of what's happening is when we're winging it, we're winging it from a cerebral space. Aha. So if we have a meeting with the boss, a project we're reporting on, a class we need to teach, winging it is a little dicey because you actually do need concrete practical information or mm-hmm. people are expecting that information from you. So if you say, I'm going to teach a class on how to grow tomatoes, But if I really don't have any information to share or I'm not organized, I can wing it all I want. I'm not going to be able to say one thing about growing tomatoes because I don't have what I need to get through that. Um, So I think the winging it comes from the cerebral. Mm -hmm. Now, you can 
wing it in terms of intuition, but that's not really winging it as much as if you've already cultivated the internal foundation of being able to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. then when you are thrust into a situation, you can trust yourself to share what you do have to share and also know that you will trust yourself to be honest and say, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Let me get back to you. Or I'm not sure I didn't prepare that piece. Or, and if I could just bring it, sort of try to restate this to make sure that I understand, like in terms of this conversation, trusting that who I am is enough to show up with and have a deep and meaningful conversation with someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. It it kind of depends on the social contract, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are in a contract with someone, say, I'm going to show up and take this cooking class on um, East Asian cooking. But I show up and the teacher doesn't have the ingredients. She doesn't have a recipe. She doesn't have a plan for us. And she thinks, well, I'll just wing it. That's not winging it. That is breaking the contract because you said you'd have a certain amount of information or guidance or content Mm -hmm. and you have none. Right. Um, But she could also say the same teacher has the ingredients. She grew up in that culture. She's a wonderfully experienced cook. This is her passion. She loves it. She could absolutely walk in without any recipes or specific content because she's got the bones. Yeah. And you can teach from the bones. Right. And you could say, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to cook, but I found these wonderful things that are fresh today. Let's see what we can do with it. (laughs) So then you're learning the principles of that cooking not something specific. Yeah. That's so. a great example. Okay. So I'm going to throw out some words for oh you boy. to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness okay. we've known each other for 25 years. Yeah. Right, Deirdre? <laughs> okay. And what am I doing with these? So you're just going to, I'm going to throw out a word and you're going to use your intuition to respond to it. Just, you know, what does it bring up in for you? Or, you know, what is, what's, you know, what, what does it make? It's almost like free association. Okay. Uh, balance. The moment to moment negotiation of what life offers and how to manage it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's no, what I, if that's what intuition looks like, I want more of that. <laughs> well, you know, when you asked me that, I had a little quick mind's eye picture of my inner critic rubbing her hands and salivating like I'm gonna get you this time and I thought oh no you're not oh whatever no. word she throws out we're gonna be calm and answer it so be quiet <laughs> that would be a beautiful job all right what about patterns patterns those are what are the shape that takes let me say that patterns are the outward expression of choices made again and again along certain neural grooves that become well-worn and those become the patterns that we each live and carry. Mm. Well-worn neural grooves. Yeah. That that reminds me of the uh, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, says you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Wow. 
That's, <laughs> that's a what, great quote. Yes, that's what your answer there just reminded me of. Um, all right, I have a couple more. Transformation. Transformation, I believe, or to how I sense it is on a soul level, what we long and desire for. Oh, that's to beautiful. Transform ourselves from what we are to what we inherently know is our optimal expression of soul in the human existence. That is absolutely beautiful. So you said transformation is on a soul level what we long for. That is just beautiful. But it, it involves change. We long for it because we know um, that we've got, you know, we are who we are and we have what we have, but we inherently come with this deep desire to optimize all that we have, to do the most with what we have. And that doesn't mean anything in particular. It means what you can do with what you have, the maximizing, like, to be the most optimized, idealized, realized version of myself that I possibly can be because it's fun and because mm -hmm. we know we can and because we know we've got it in us and um, we're born to do that. I think that's what mm -hmm. we want to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think we always know how to do it. I don't think we always have the optimal context from which to do it or the appropriate support we don't feel seen, we don't know how to do it, but the seed is in every single one of us. Everyone wants to be their best self. <laughs> Everyone with a deep wound really does want to heal and mend. Yeah, that you're sort of tying that back to that fundamental goodness again. Mm -hmm. Okay, one last word. Stillness. Stillness. Stillness? Mm -hmm. quiet intuition oh wow I hadn't tied those two together synonyms almost on a soul level because from that stillness is where you can hear that voice mm. this is the thing about intuition it's already a part of the system I do think it comes more easily for some people than others mm -hmm. and I don't know that could be what the soul chooses to come in with um it could be that we all have our gifts and some are just going to have a little bit more of that particular thing where somebody's going to have a stronger way of you know quantum physics is their jam and they get that more than anybody else you know, somebody can spontaneously create on the piano a beautiful piece of music. That's their jam. We all have our jam. And everyone comes with intuition. I think the main thing about it is no matter what your capacity is, most of us aren't up to our capacity because no one has shown us in a concrete, practical way how to practice, how to cultivate it, how mm -hmm. to trust it. And so it's very much within 
reach, but we have to take it out of the realm of the esoteric and think, well, I just, I can't do that. I can't trust that voice or I don't have that sixth sense. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know people who just kind of know, or they know someone's going to pass or they know something's going to happen, or they have a feeling about something. And um, we all know those people, they're everywhere. But I mean, we're those people. Mm-hmm. We just don't trust that we're those people. Right. So the intuition, you know, I often teach that people will say, well, how do I know if it's my gut instinct or my fear? Like how, which is the, and I say your fear is in your head. Yeah. Your intuition is more in your solar plexus. And <laughs> your, your, in, your fear you, is winging it. <laughs> Your fear is winging it and your fear is at the surface. It's like yeah. the cream at the surface of the jar, you know, whereas the intuition is deeper. Talk about dropping in. Mm-hmm. The intuition is several levels down in the system and the fear is the top cream, you mm-hmm. know, and the intuition is quiet and there's a knowing that you just don't question. It's like, yeah, that's it. Right. I think and I've heard Oprah talk about it as it starts as a whisper, though. It starts in that quiet place. And when you don't pay attention to it, it often, when there is a transformational change that you have to do, it gets louder and louder and, and louder. I mean, it does. But I think the louder and louder or the change often happens when we hear that voice, that sixth sense, like, I don't think you should do that. I think this might be the better choice. I don't, th- and you just keep running rough shot over it. Yeah. And then at some point, if you would override that enough times, the universe is like, okay, I guess you need to break your leg to sit tight for four weeks. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> or, or something comes right. along. It becomes a crisis because you didn't it, listen to it as a nugget, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you just stopped when it was whispering and cocked your ear and said, now, what is it? <laughs> then it wouldn't need to be this big drama trauma thing that often happens. Yes. <laughs> I have absolutely loved this conversation as I've loved all of our conversations over 25 years. But um, as we, I want have one last thing, which is I want you to tell us what's next for you, um, where people can find you as uh, an artist we didn't really talk about all of your fantastic artwork, but your artist, a meditation teacher and a healer. What, where, tell us what's next for you. Well, um, (laughs) first I have to apologize in advance because yes, you can find me on my website, but my website is not, I don't feel any longer reflects everything that I'm doing. So it is a partial view of what's available and because we're doing this publicly, I am now putting my feet over the fire of updating it and making it more clear. <laughs> but you can go to in or just go to DeirdreWilcox.com and okay. a lot of information is there. Um, and I think what's next is I've been working with small groups of women in, in sort of what I call soul school. And I'm interested in retooling it not retooling it but making it so it can be accessible to more on a slightly bigger level so Mm -hmm. the work has been very much three or four people in a small group Mm -hmm. very intimate work 
um, on our shadows, on intuition, on discerning those, how do you trust it? How do you not? And very practical things like how to, you know, develop these skills. Um, cause so much is talked about, but no one actually tells us the nuts and bolts of how to do it. Right. That is really my keen interest is making meditation, mindfulness, the breath, intuition, practical and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Take it out of the realm of for the few, for those who have time, for those who are involved. It's like, no, 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 no. The pedestrian level is really where we need to bring this now because Mm -hmm. on this earth, we sure could use a lot more people who are working from a different place inside. Yeah. Great. I love it. And we'll put a link to your website on the show notes. And um, thank you. Can't. Thank you enough for spending this time with us. Thank you. You are, as you know, I love you dearly. You are a delight. You are wise beyond your years. You are brilliant and you're a hell of a mother and even a more amazing human being (laughs) doing the work. So my soul sister, Mm, together we walk. (laughs) Together we walk. Together we walk. And now for the outtake I preserve so you can listen to my silly refusal to take care of a corn on my toe. And yes, I do realize the wonderful parallel between a corn and the hard and painful shell we can develop when we don't do the work to renew our soul on a regular basis. Thank and to you. all the beautiful humans who are listening to this, you know, the, I think one of the best things about Wynn and me is that we are happily and freely admit that we come with a long list of failings and we're doing the best <laughs> we can. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you know what? We could laugh about them too. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, if you want to join in on the, the compassionate circus, yeah. great. <laughs> this reminds me of the time like 10 years ago, you told me I had a corn on the outside of that toe that I broke in junior high. <laughs> I had the cord. It's on that outside. So it's affecting how I walk, what shoes I can wear. It's painful. You know, it's, <laughs> you're like, you have a corn. You should take something about it. I said, oh, it'll just grow back. And, and you didn't say anything <laughs> to me for 10 more years until I finally figured out. Oh, yeah, it'll grow back, but you can take care of it. And you just were so patient with me. <laughs> going, my foot hurts. And you must have been going, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And it doesn't grow back instantly. So you actually have months of pain-free life with an easy gait that doesn't throw off your hip and then your spine and then your crabby attitude. <laughs> But what I love is that you just, you were like, okay, well, I told her and one day I'll trust that she'll do something with that information. (laughs) When I finally did 10 years later, you were like, you didn't, you know, you didn't overly gloat. (laughs) Well, I didn't, but you know, what was so adorable was 10 years later, you like, oh my God, my whole life is transformed because I had the corn taken off. And I'm like, really? (laughs) You waited 10 years <laughs> to listen to my sage advice. <laughs> but well, whatever. <laughs> and when, <laughs> okay, just one of my many failings. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
kind of that same old, same old, same old doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. Or the corn yes. hurts. We'll take it off. But you were like, no, it's just going to go back. There's no point. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's the whole thing about meditation. You take off the corn, it grows back. You take it off, it grows back. You just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for showing us how. Lighting the lantern. <laughs> thank you for keeping me on the straight and narrow. I appreciate you. <laughs> All you. right. Well, again, when we meet, until we meet next, much love and blessings. Thank you for listening. Our music is With a Little Help from My Friends by Lennon and McCartney, performed by Carolyn Leon. Please visit our website at sharingtheheartofthematter.com for show notes and more great inspirations.